0: Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. If you would, we're going to turn to the word of the Lord and read from Acts chapter 8, beginning our reading with verse 26. If you would, remain standing together with us in honor of the word of the Lord and the reading of the word for today's message. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Amen so good to be home. We missed our church family while we were away this past week, but uh, heard just wonderful reports from Wednesday night service. I want to very specifically thank our ministry leaders and Brother Alex Perry for delivering the word of the Lord this past Wednesday night under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Amen. Amen. And aren't we glad to have our guests with us today? Amen. And also, amen, people that we saw last Sunday, here this Sunday. Now, after two times, you're no longer a guest. You're family. Amen. Now, when you become family, there's expectations and responsibilities. Take out the trash, bring in the dog. Amen. There is a family here um, that is representing uh, a man that was uh, a member of the Refuge Church until the Lord took him home. And uh, he was endearingly referred to as Deacon Collins or Brother Horace Collins. He always sat in the front row and you knew he was there because when he felt something he liked or heard something he liked, you just kind of whoop. And then he would. When he got to feel in the spirit, he would just kind of do a, do a shuffle, across the front, and it was, it was an honor to officiate his homegoing service. His son is here, and uh, his son's wife, Amen, Anthony and Cynthia, we're glad that they're here, and then uh, their children, uh, Simone and Anthony Jr. We're glad that they're both here. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Amen. To my brother Jonathan, love you, buddy. Amen. Glad you and your family are here today. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. This Ethiopian was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go, go. Go near, join yourself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him, and he heard him read the prophet Isaiah. The man was reading the word out loud. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian said, how can I, unless someone should guide me? And he desired for Philip that he would come up, sit with him in the chariot. The place of the scripture which he read read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee. Of whom speaks the prophet this? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, somebody say Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. Where were they? They were in a desert place. But they came upon a body of water. That caused the Ethiopian to say, here's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? I thought, I thought, I thought Philip was preaching Jesus. How do they get off on baptism? Philip said, Well, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. And the Ethiopian, I imagine, almost without hesitation, he said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. But the Ethiopian went on his way, someone say rejoicing. Amen. I'm here, amen, under the direction of the Lord to preach on this subject, an oasis in a desert place. An oasis in a desert place. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for all that you have done and are doing. Thank you for your spirit that is moving in this place. Thank you for each and every believer, each and every person. Amen, of like precious faith that has joined themselves together in this place for the purpose of worship and hearing your word. And I pray that as a messenger that I declare the word of the Lord as the Spirit leads me and let us have an ear to hear what the Spirit will say to the church today. Lord, let us have ready hearts, ready hands to receive and to apply the word. I pray, Lord, at the conclusion of this message that there will be a mighty response, that we will will not only be hearers of the word but doers also. Lord, we give your name all the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. Before you're seated, why don't we give the Lord one more offering of praise and thanksgiving for what he's done, is doing, and is going to do. Thank you, Jesus. We praise your name, Jesus. We honor you, Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. So, so here we are at the latter half of Acts chapter 8. But to better appreciate chapter 8, especially the latter half, it's good to go to the first half. In fact, if if you really want to enjoy the first half of chapter 8, you should probably go to chapter 7. And to enjoy chapter 7, you probably should go to chapter 6. Might as well just start from Acts chapter 1. But we'll just we'll just go to chapter 6. In chapter 6 the, the chapter opens up with with a problem that came about because of church growth. Those are the kind of problems you know you don't necessarily want to have but But if you're going to have problems and you had to choose between those kind of problems and others, I'd rather deal with church growth problems. Now, when we talk about church growth, we're talking about rapid church growth that could only be explained by multiplication. The Bible says in those days, the number of disciples was not added. It was multiplied. And they were having church growth, and in the midst of church growth, the Bible says that the Grecian Christians were complaining that their widows, or the people that were kind of of their class, they were being neglected, while the Hebrew Christians were, were receiving attention. Now, now, the term Grecians here is referring to Jews who came from outside Jerusalem, and they spoke Greek. Their primary and first language was Greek, and it's much like those listed in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, well, look, I said we're going to start in chapter 6, and here we are in chapter 2. But in chapter 2, it talks about how the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout Jews out of every nation, And it lists the nations, 17 and all, that they came from. But again, they are Jewish people that had been dispersed or displaced into different nations and territories. And so that they they, they had become more foreigners than citizens of Jerusalem. And here 2,000 years ago, (laughs) within the first years of the church, we find that saints were already complaining that they weren't getting enough attention from church leadership. (laughs) The pastor didn't shake my hand. I noticed pastor prayed for everyone, but he didn't come pray for me. I'm not telling you what's what I hear around here. I'm telling you this is from the Bible. This is. I mean, if conviction's hitting you, then let it hit you. But this is this is two thousand years ago. In that first church, that revival church, that Book of Acts church, the church that the apostles were the pastors of. People were upset they felt like some were receiving more attention than others and and so the solution here the 12 apostles in order for them to give themselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word they said okay let's let's choose out seven church leaders elders deacons ministry leaders that would be appointed to oversee this business of the church now, here's the qualifications. We're not just going to pick anybody. Not anyone could just feel the role of a church leader. They need to be full of the Holy Ghost. That's good. They need to be full of wisdom, meaning they they, they don't repeat the same mistakes over and over again because they keep failing the test and don't learn anything from the things that they go through. They gain wisdom. They've learned something along the way. And then when it mentions the first of the seven, Stephen, it even says that he was full of faith. They've got to be full of the Holy Ghost. They've got to be full of wisdom. They need to be full of faith. Now, these are three very powerful things. I mean, we're talking about the Holy Ghost, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. Wisdom. Proverbs could tell you all about the power of wisdom, full of faith, faith that Jesus says, if you've got a little bit, you could say to the mountain to be cast into the sea and it's got to obey you. Three powerful things, the Holy Ghost, wisdom, and faith. But don't forget the last. The qualification is that they have an honest report right there along side, the necessity of the power of the Holy Ghost is the necessity of integrity and godly character within the ministry leaders of the church. And I don't know if there are many things that grieve my heart more than a minister that doesn't have integrity. Then I hear about ministry leaders or pastors or Or those that are called elders in the church and have a falling away in morals, godly integrity. Because their influence goes long beyond their own house. It it affects the house of God. Of course, these these are just a few of the qualifications. If you read 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, the apostle Paul gives a lengthy list, a more detailed list of qualifications. He says they need to work and supply for their house. They they, they also need to be ones that keep their house well. If they can't keep their own house, how are they going to keep the household of God? I wish I had some help in here today. Amen. Is anybody else sick and tired of the lack of integrity among so-called Christian leaders? But you know what? Whose fault is it? This ain't in my notes. I had no plans to go anywhere near here, but here I am. Whose fault is it? The Bible says that the people picked him out. It's interesting to me that sometimes we'll like to blame God and the, the person themselves when it's the people that would like to raise up individuals that have the morals of a junkyard dog to somehow lead them into spiritual battle and the people wonder why their church is splitting and falling apart. Hey, listen, we ought to say, you know what? God has given us his word and we could choose out among us godly leaders filled with integrity. They might have talent. They might be using the gifts of the spirit. But if they do not have integrity, it will limit the value of the church and their ministry. Now, when these leaders were appointed and then they were validated by the church, by the laying on of the apostles' hands, it equaled continued growth. And you go from chapter 6, the ending of chapter 6 talks about Stephen, Stephen, this man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And he began to dispute among those of the synagogue. And the Bible says they were not able to resist his wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. He spake with such excellence. He spake sharing revelation from from scripture and and these people they got upset because they couldn't argue with them so they rec- uh, they recruited liars they recruited false witnesses that would come and lie against Stephen saying he's speaking against Moses and the crowd says oh, not Moses Moses the great Moses the leader of Israel that brought them out of Egypt speaks against Moses chapter 7 records a powerful message that if you want to get the Old Testament in a nutshell, you should read. He gives you a concise history of much of the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham and leading to Jesus Christ, saying that Abraham and Moses were all pointing towards that just one, Jesus Christ. And then he says, musicians come, and he closes the message like this. He looks out to the congregation like I am now. And he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did before you. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and the murderers of? Stephen, take it easy. There's guests present here today. I mean, it's like inviting my brother to come preach our grand opening and he talks about how God spits in your face. Like really, bro, you could have like could have said something a little bit different, I don't know. But he preached the word. He closed with conviction. And the reaction was that they gnashed on him with their teeth, stopped their ears, threw him out of the city, and threw rocks at him until he died. You talk about an angry group of people that hated everything that Stephen stood for. And there was a young man there that day that we learn about whose name was Saul, who led the charge against Stephen and then against the church. Now, meanwhile, while they're throwing rocks with anger at Stephen to kill him and successfully did so, the Bible says Stephen was still full of the Holy Ghost. With rocks being thrown at him and all, he was still full of the, of the Holy Ghost. He sees heaven open. He calls upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then with a loud voice he cried so that his persecutors could hear him who at a stone's throw distance, he said, Lord Jesus, lay not this sin to their charge. What I see in Stephen is this. He preached like Peter on the day of Pentecost, who laid it straight, but then he died like Jesus Christ and said, forgive them, for they know not what they did. talking about ministry leaders here today. I'm talking about just some folks that were led and appointed just to serve tables. I'm talking about the second in command or the third or fourth or fifth or sixth. I'm not talking about the top dog. I'm not talking about the big guns. I'm not talking about the great apostle Peter or, or, or John or, or, or any of those. No, it's, it's it's just Stephen. But Stephen, he could preach like Peter and he could die like Jesus. And the and the, the 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 chief priest and and Saul and the rest of them they were intimidated they were afraid Woo. they were afraid of the, the 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 potential of people like Stephen common folk lay folks lay leaders people that just were in the Sunday school class or greeted at the door picking up folks for church those kind. The devil was afraid of them because they were empowered and ordained of the apostles, and they said, "Hey, we could do ministry just like Peter, just like James and John. We could do ministry right where we're at." Uh, I'll get to Philip, but but I want to lay some groundwork here. Chapter nine opens, or excuse me, Chapter eight opens where Chapter seven ends, and. I want you to grasp or understand the context of the revival recorded in chapter 8. When you read chapter 8, you read about, uh, it opens up with this great persecution that was being made against the church there in Jerusalem, which which caused the disciples to be scattered except for the apostles. Again, this is important. It specifically, side notes this, That the disciples, the the elders, the ministry, they they were scattered, but the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And then it says that those that were scattered, they went everywhere preaching the word. And namely, Philip here in chapter 8. Chapter 8 focuses almost entirely upon the ministry of the Lord through a man named Philip. Now, it's important. If you're a student of Scripture, you you may understand that there, there are two Philips, at least, that are mentioned here in the New Testament. One is the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the other is among the seven leaders that were appointed by the early church. This is not the apostle Philip who is mentioned in the Gospels in places like John chapter 14, one of my favorites, and verse 8. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And Jesus looks back at him and says, have I been with you for so long and still you don't know who I am, Philip? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. How many are glad to know who Jesus is? He's not some good teacher or even just a prophet. He is God manifest in flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preach unto the Gentiles. No, no, this is not that Philip. This is another Philip. This is the Philip that was, hear me now, this was the Philip that was appointed to serve tables. This was the Philip that was on the cleaning crew. That Philip. Do you hear me now? But yet, while he could have been confused with the apostle Philip because they shared the same name he does not feel less important he does not feel slighted but he is diligent in ministry my wife just had mentioned how she she administered this past week there because of the times she preached because of the times to the missionary kids <laughs> and it was it made us laugh because one of the parents of the missionary kids Uh, had a post, and wanted to thank Mandy Brown and Mark Brown for their tremendous ministry to their kids. A few uh, few weeks back, I I got a, a text, and there was someone from Alabama that wanted me to come preach a rally. I looked at my wife. I said, babe, you think they got the Browns confused? I've never been to Alabama. I don't know anybody in Alabama. It is an interesting quandary sometimes to share the name. I share a last name with someone that is quite well-known in our circles of Pentecost and is asked all over the world to come and preach and hear. Philip, maybe maybe he felt a little slighted. You know, I'm just, just cleaning tables, washing toilets. Now, who clogged the toilet again? You know what I really don't like is when someone, I don't know how they do it but they lock the stall and then somehow get out of the stall like an escape artist to leave the clean crew to figure out how to unlock the stall from without the stall. There is a few ways I've learned them. He was just serving tables, but watch this. This Philip, he did what he was asked, but he didn't stop doing with just what he was asked. He said, I know that I've been called and appointed to serve tables, but that won't stop me from preaching the gospel. He may have been on the clean crew, but later on in the book of Acts, listen to how he's referred to. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, the Bible says that Paul's company came to the house in Caesarea, and they entered into the house of Philip. Watch this, Philip the evangelist. Philip the evangelist, oh, wait a second. I thought you were just you were just a, a Sunday school teacher. I, I thought you just kept kids in the nursery. You're a glorified babysitter. No, he's an evangelist. And watch this. He had seven, and his daughters were four daughters that were pure. And his daughters, each of them prophesied, which is a New Testament way of saying they preached. This man was an evangelist. He did what he was asked and he did more because what he's asked of does not identify the limit or limit what he can do in the kingdom of God. So he went to Samaria. He preached Jesus. Now the Samaritans are somewhat of a, they're a mixed bag. They're a mixed people. I mean, quite literally. It came about when the Assyrians attacked Israel and, and dispersed the Jews and they, they brought in some some foreigners and had them intermarry with the Israelites and they became known as the Samaritans and the, the bloods had a problem with the mixed breed is that, is that clear enough the people that could cleanly and purely identify with Abraham as their father had a problem with those that had Esau in their lineage But Philip, Philip didn't have any prejudice. Philip said, I'll serve the Lord where I am, and I'll preach to whoever I meet. I've got a feeling that he was among the 500 that Jesus spoke to before he ascended. And he said, listen, the Holy Ghost is going to give you power to be a witness of me in Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. In Judea. Oh, yeah. In Samaria. Oh, no. And Philip said, oh, yeah. While others were saying, oh, no, Philip said, hey, I will preach to the Samaritans because that's who I'm called to preach to. I'm mandated by Jesus Christ. They may not look like me, talk like me, or eat the same things I do. They might even speak a different language, but they are who I'm sent to. I'm here in Samaria. And we find a great citywide revival in the city of Samaria. We find deliverance from demon possession, miracles, baptisms. Even the city witch doctor repents and is baptized, but still something's missing. You read in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says they believed and were baptized, but they had not yet received the Holy Ghost. And the apostles heard about it in Jerusalem. They said, no, that won't do. We We won't settle for just a people that will believe and are baptized. They've got to have the missing ingredient. And they came, Peter and John, and they laid hands on the believers, the Bible says, and they received the Holy Ghost. Things were happening. Things were popping. Revival was going on there in the city of Samaria. We're talking about a metroplex. We're talking about there's all kinds of people coming to the Lord, being delivered, miracles and healings. And then there's an abrupt turn, a direction change in verse 26 where the Lord directs Philip to head toward the south. Now now where? Just, Just toward the south. Just go ahead and start heading south. Got to meet, got to meet uh, one of our guests here today that comes from Mississippi. That's that's South. I visited there. My wife was born in Jackson. Her parents pastored for a short while in Hazelhurst. It's South. But he didn't give a state. He didn't give a city. He just said go towards the South. Well, you know what? Go go to, go to the the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza and Gaza to Jerusalem. Go to that road. But but there's two roads. History will tell that there's two roads that lead from Jerusalem to Gaza and Gaza to Jerusalem. There's two roads. Go ahead, go to the south road, the one that leads through the desert. And he pulls him out of a citywide revival where he's seen perhaps dozens, if not hundreds of people baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, miracles happening, even the city witch doctor being converted to a desert, a dry place. For what? It don't matter. It's where the Lord's leading. I can't always make sense of it, but I've learned just to obey the Lord. I've learned just to follow the leading of the spirit wherever he directs me. Philip was there. While there, he notes and and spots a a chariot coming. I don't know how close he was or where he was or if it was in the distance, but I love how, how the Lord says, join yourself to that chariot. Bible says he ran. He's running. Here is this great preacher finally feeling like he's arrived. He's led a revival in Samaria, but he's still ready to serve just however, however's needed. He's not to he's not above running. He's not above just obeying the Holy Ghost even when it seems absurd. Just just run. Just go catch up to that chariot. And he's running alongside this chariot and he hears this man who is an Ethiopian eunuch. He is the treasurer for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of all of her treasure. And he hears him reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Oh, it's a good one. If you haven't read it, you ought to read it sometime. It's of the suffering of the suffering Savior. It paints this picture that if you knew, listen, if you didn't know better, you would have thought Isaiah was there at the cross the day that Jesus died. He's painting this picture. Now, mind you, it's 800 years removed. It's 800 years before Jesus ever was hung on the cross. He's painting this picture of the suffering Savior. And Philip, he asks, hey, hey. Do you know what you're reading? And like like a good Christian that thinks they know it all, of course I do. Rude. You think I'm ignorant? I know everything. No, no. Not this guy. This guy was hungry for righteousness. He thirsted after the things of God. (laughs) He was a soul that longed for truth, though in a desert place. I'll tell you how I know he longed. You don't know much about the Ethiopian. You know of his race or his lineage. You know who he served and his position, his occupation, his career. But you don't know his name. You don't even know really what happened to him after this encounter. But you do know a few things. You know that this Ethiopian, he was a Gentile by birth. He was not a Grecian Jew. He was not someone living somewhere else that was a Jew by birth. No, no, he was an Ethiopian. He was a eunuch. He was a single adult male that gave his entire life to his career. Whether by choice or by force, he did what he did every day. Because that was his identity. That's who he was. That was his name for all intents and purpose. He was the Ethiopian unit. He was identified by his occupation. He was identified by his life. He was identified by his career. He was identified by the marks that he bore in his body. I feel like preaching. I feel like ministering to someone here today. I I know you've got maybe a little ways to catch up to me, but I hope you get there. Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And and the Ethiopians, in a a sound, no doubt, of desperation, uh, do I understand what I'm reading? I, I can't unless someone explains this to me. I'll tell you what we do know about the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian, though he was a man of great power and position, he was a man that was willing to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship. I told you about the Apostle Philip, right? Well, if you read about the Apostle Philip in Acts, or excuse me, John chapter 12, the Bible records this: that Philip, he brought certain Greeks that had traveled to Jerusalem to worship during the feast, and they said to Jesus, they would see Jesus. I don't know if it was, but it could have been that this Ethiopian was among these Greeks that had traveled to Jerusalem from a great distance because they had been adopted or they have adopted these ways of worship and they wanted to know the God of Israel. And this Ethiopian had such a hunger. He said, I know I wasn't born to the right family. I know I don't got the right pedigree, but I want to I want to see this God, this God that the Israelites were. Worship. I've heard about him. I've heard about him. Read First Kings, and in First Kings you find a prayer that Solomon prays to the dedication of the temple. And in Solomon's prayer of the dedication of the temple, he says, "God, and when a foreigner." When someone who's not a child of Israel, when they lift their voice and cry and come to this place where your name is to worship, hear their prayer and bring them in as they see your outstretched arm and your mighty hand, I'm here to tell you that the prophet Isaiah, he spoke of a day of the coming of the Lord that would bring in the Gentiles. And here this day has arrived and the Ethiopian is hungry for righteousness longing for the word of God or for someone to teach him. He was worshiping with what knowledge he had up to that point. But he was eager to learn more. He was eager to learn more. In our day, we might say they were just a good, solid Christian. Faithful to what truth they had up to this point. But ready always to learn more. I pray for each and every one of you. May the spirit of truth, which is the spirit of God, lead and guide you into all truth. Do not stop short of the revelation that God would love to bring into your life that is greater than what you have learned up to this point. And like the Ethiopian, God has someone lined up, even in a desert place, to bring you to an oasis of oasis of truth. Philip joined himself, and he began at the same scripture, the Bible says he began to preach Jesus. One of the greatest messages I've heard preached on this passage is from Brother Joel Urshan, a preacher I love to listen to, Cincinnati, Ohio. And he preached at a youth convention in Illinois about how Philip, he preached Jesus from Isaiah 53, but the truth of the matter is, If the Ethiopian was reading from the book of Genesis, Genesis, he could preach Jesus. If he was was preaching, if he was reading from the book of Exodus, he could preach Jesus. He went all through the Bible and talked about how it didn't matter where the Ethiopian was reading from, Philip could have preached Jesus. But I got to tell you, if I got to pick Isaiah 53, it's probably a good one to pick. Philip preached Jesus, and the Bible says that the Ethiopian, watch now, they were in a desert place, a dry place. Scripture records that the Ethiopian says, see, water, water. He points to a natural baptistry. There's water. Wait a second, I thought they were in a desert place. Impossible. Impossible not with God, unheard of, not with the Lord, I don't know, and let me just wrap up this message quickly here, I'm done, I don't know where you're coming from today, Uh, whether you're you're, you're a church member or a guest with us, I don't know what your story reads, but hear me today, God is in the business of seeking every hungry and thirsty soul and letting it be satisfied with the oasis of truth and the oasis of his spirit. You may feel like you're in a dry place, but don't allow your hunger and thirst to be satisfied with anything less than the word of God and an experience that matches up and aligns itself with his word. I feel in the in the Holy Ghost. I felt in prayer even today that there are people here we don't hardly even know your name that will be here today and just met. But people that have been reading your Bible and you've been praying prayers that nobody else has heard but Jesus and the angels. Saying, Lord. I want to understand this more. I want to see truth. I want to know what this says. Still yet, I, this is what I feel in prayer. There are people that you and I will meet, much like the Ethiopian. Their whole life has been wrapped up in what their position is, what their career is, what they've given their entire lives for. And it doesn't seem possible that God would ever be able to reach you. But God knows how to send a Philip out of a citywide revival to a single soul teach him a home Bible study on the chariot ride to Gaza. Could you stand together with me? You see this? This man, he was a stranger of Israel. But he had heard of the great name of the Lord. He had heard about God's strong hand and his outstretched arm. And he prayed towards the temple of Jerusalem. And there's verses that claim promises for his life. He is able to call upon the name of the Lord, though he's not of the right family. Not the right name, but he wants he wants more. One of the largest outpourings of the Holy Ghost was in 1993. It was at a crusade where there was a gathering of over 100,000 people. Some estimated it to be 130,000 people. But on a single day, there were over 30,000 people that received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues as a spirit gave them the utterance. Do you know where this happened at? It happened in Ethiopia. It happened in Ethiopia. This was the first time that such a large group of people received the Holy Ghost. Sister Chris it just started with one. It started with a man who was reading from the book of Isaiah that God introduced Philip to. Would you close your eyes all across this place and if you would reflect and consider what has been said and how the Lord has used what has been said to speak to your heart. Oh, my God, my God. Oh, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Refuge family, there are people like the Ethiopian. They're career-driven people in our community. But I'm telling you, they're hungry for truth. There are people in our community that their identity has been wrapped up in, in, in what people know them as, and whether they be a lawyer, a doctor, a drug dealer, a prostitute. Wherever they fall on the spectrum of society, there are people right next door to us that are longing for someone to open up Scripture to them so that they can experience the new birth, so that they could have their understanding open and receive the glorious new birth for themselves. They don't even know what they're reading. They don't even know how to go about what they're longing for, even how to name it. The Refuge Church, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, has been placed in this location. We have been postured for revival. And sometimes a revival is not multiplication. Sometimes it's just one soul in a desert looking for an oasis. You are here today. And you are thirsty. You are longing. You are hoping for something that would open up what has been closed to you up to this point. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is here. And he is, he is more than willing to set up a divine appointment that cannot be denied. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. I want to open up this front area. For each and every soul that this message has gone out to, it has impacted your life. I'm giving you an opportunity to respond to His Word, respond to this message. We're asking you, if you would step out from where you're standing or sitting and make your way up around this platform and just begin to lift up your hands and your voice to the Lord and say, "Lord, I need You." Oh Lord, this message has has hit hit home with me and it has spoken to me and. I confess that I need you, Lord. I, I don't want to be like those of the synagogue that reject the words of the, the prophet or the words of the preacher, that shut myself off to what you are trying to do in my life. But no, Lord, I want to be like the Samaritans. I, I want to be like the Ethiopian. And I want to long and hunger for, for more of you, more of your truth. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful. So thankful for our church family. So thankful for your consistent hunger for his spirit and for his word. Almighty God, I pray have your way right now. I believe that the Lord is also wanting to empower our church ministry leaders, our Sunday school teachers, our, even those that, that are recruited as people that will greet at the door and help clean the church. Listen, don't just do what, don't settle and stop with doing what you're only asked, but would you excel and say, I'm a preacher of the gospel wherever I am, whoever I find myself with. I, like Philip the elder, I can be used of God to teach a Bible study to an Ethiopian on his ride home from work. And I, like Philip, can, can preach to my city like he did in Samaria in the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. Lift up your voice. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. Let the Lord and his Word settle in your spirit, finding a place to bear root downward so that it could bear fruit upward. I encourage my church family to go ahead and, and pray and connect with the Lord and connect with his word that has been preached, but also then find a person that you can pray with. Maybe it's a guest. Maybe it's a fellow member of the body. Maybe it's someone else, but let the Lord lead you right now. The Spirit of God may speak to your spirit and say, why don't you head over towards that seating area? Why don't you head over across the church? I've got someone that you need to pray with. I've got someone you need to pray for. This is so this is so needed right now within our body. Lord, I love you. I worship you. The Lord has a Samaritan revival. The Lord has an Ethiopian eunuch revival here among the refuge church. We are here. We're longing for your word. If you brought a guest, why don't you pray with your guests? If you brought someone to church today, find them. Take them by the hand and ask if you could pray with them today. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord.
1: i do Sure.
0: led to just share this, and I want my wife to continue singing here in just a moment, but a little while ago during our worship service, our songs, our assistant pastor, Brother Walker, he made an appeal for those that had needs in their life, whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional healing, to come and be prayed for, and there was such a tremendous response and an outpouring of God's love and spirit in this place, but this is what I felt like the Lord just impressed in my heart as As I prayed here, and and it seemed like there was, if I could just be honest with you, it seemed like there was less of a response to His Word for our lives to be in alignment with His Word and respond to His Word than there was for the need of of healing physically, spiritually, emotionally. And I believe that our desire for the knowledge of Jesus Christ, like was displayed in the Ethiopian. It needs to match or become greater than our desire, whether it's for healing in our bodies or even healing in other people's lives. It seems like we could go so quickly, take these physical needs to the Lord in prayer and expect the Lord to meet those. But our desire for God's word and knowledge of him should exceed that. I wonder in just these last few minutes as we pray together and talk to the Lord together, I wonder if you could just extend your faith and extend your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ right now and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know your word. Open my understanding to understand the scriptures. The apostle Paul said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering. Come on, the power of God. The power of God is in knowing him today. Oh, we don't just want to know what he could do for us. We want to know who he is. Yeah. Lord, I want to know who you are. And it comes oh, with surrender. Yeah. Lord, I surrender myself. I surrender my heart. Oh, I withhold nothing yeah. from you. Come on, for a few minutes, let's lift oh, our voices. Jesus. Let's extend our faith and our hands toward heaven oh, and say, Lord, yeah. that I might know you. That I might seek a deeper oh, knowledge of who yeah. you are. Yes,
1: yes,
0: yes, it's possible to find water in a desert place if you will hunger and you will thirst after his righteousness, after his word, after his spirit. The Lord wants to order your steps. The Lord wants to bring you out of whatever bondage you've been living in. God loves you. God cares about you. God sees you in your desert place. And he has an oasis waiting for you. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Praise him. Love him. Worship him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
1: Yes.